welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries Extra Drama for book number 16, Rags to Riches, starring Bruce... No. <laughs> Roger... Starring Roger... Patman? Barrett? But today, mm-hmm. I am here with neither Bruce nor Roger, although those would both be perfectly fine names for you. Yes. If you wanted to be called Bruce or Roger. Um, but instead... Your name is Mike Yarsky. Hi. Hello. I just need to talk about this very pressing question with uh-huh. the B plot of Rex the Riches. Yeah, let's talk about it. Which is the following. In my experience, I'm not deaf, by the way, but I will say that in my experience, mm. um, my ex-boyfriend used to, uh, I think he has a different job now, but there was a congregation in North Hollywood, I think it was a Lutheran branch, where they had uh, deaf people as part of the congregation. Now, he directed the choir. Okay. So, there was a deaf person in the choir. Oh, wow. But the deaf person did not sing. The deaf person would sign in a, what we would oh, consider like great. a very lyrical way. So, it would be like an interpretive signing based on you know, the vibrations and the conducting movements and someone would tell him, you know, take this very softly or take it very long or just sort of follow when other people's mouths are moving, all that kind of stuff. Um, Even for people who went deaf later in life in that choir, none of them were able to speak particularly well or clearly after a certain point because you lose the ability to hear yourself Talking out loud, I think, is when what it is. When you become deaf, you lose that ability. I'm not 100%. And that is the reason why when a deaf person who has really, really excellent speaking ability, still there's a bit of a different sound than um, a he- hearing person. Would yes. Have. When you said that there was something really pressing that you want to talk about with the B story, I had no idea where you were going to go with this. <laughs> and I think it just goes to show like how inert I am to this whole crazy world because... Of course you were going to talk about Regina. And um, so, listeners, hello. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. We are talking about a story that we did not get into because we had so much fun talking about uh, wealth and status and interpersonal drama in the main plot, plot A, of this Sweet Valley Diaries novel, that uh, we didn't have time to talk about the B plot, which revolves around Regina and also to a lesser extent with Todd really wanting to be a detective and kind of <laughs> yes. like playing detective. He he thinks there's like a mystery afoot with Regina. Yeah. She's acting funny. She's sitting by herself at lunch and then leaving really quickly. And she's just been really weird at the outset. And he wants to find out what's up. Where's she been going? Well, she keeps leaving school. Like, where's she going? Isn't that weird? And like, hey, Liz, wouldn't it be fun if we follow her and find out where she's going? So, it's about Regina yes. Morrow. Regina Morrow. Relatively new in town. The B-plot is basically Inspector Todd, which does not have a nice ring to it. And neither does, like, Todd P.I. Todd P.I. <laughs> Inspector Todd. <laughs> He's going to get you. He's going to find out that you are... So, yeah. So, Regina, they find her in the downtown Sweet Valley area. Probably in the Scandal District, or what have you, at the Scandal Shop, <laughs> with an older male that pecks her on the cheek. Said gentleman also pecks her on the cheek. He's handsome. 
And he's handsome. Obviously. He's a handsome... Is He's not a silver fox just yet, but he has the gray flex, I think, like, that was decided. Didn't they say he looked like he was in his 30s? Like, yeah. He didn't look, he's not like an old man. No, he just has like little gray accents, I think. Okay, like salt and pepper. Sort yeah. Of. Okay, now, but, so that's like the starting point of this story. And yeah. it unfolds that there is a rumor afoot uh, that Regina is having an affair with this man, which, to me... I guess that could happen in in high school that that rumor would start, but it feels a little bit like the author's kind of putting an adult situation read of things onto a high school world. Because I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine, even in Sweet Valley, California, that just because you see someone repeatedly with a man in his mid-30s, the thing you (laughs) jump to is they must be fucking. You know, like, and this book has a lot of allusions to, like, you know what older men are like. Yeah, it's a very damning picture of older men that isn't, well, it's not entirely wrong. It's just, (laughs) it's just, like, so crazy in both plots, how willing and able they are to jump to conclusions. Yes. But we are getting way ahead of ourselves. Yeah. I want to. I just wanted to give the listeners some footing for this is the story we're talking about. Yes. If maybe <clears throat> when you were younger you read Rags to Riches, perhaps you recall this storyline and you can remember where this is all going. But it is important, to, I think, to just kind of pause and revisit Regina um, in I believe it was in episode 13, I had kind of a complicated conversation with my guest Misha about, like, that was the introduction of Regina. And it was like, isn't it weird that she talks so well? And it's like, it was it was a hard conversation to have, partially because I'm not an expert in deafness, as mm-hmm. Mike's saying, you're, he's not either, but no. you do have this... You know this point of reference. I had a friend who was deaf when I was in high school, who I who I would talk to a lot, and she was great at le- at reading lips, but she didn't talk at all. It's not like the fact that Regina is popular and beautiful is hard to believe. It's just this detail, yeah, which is uh, highlighted in the introduction. She had refused to be given special treatment because of her handicap. She had studied lip reading for years at a school in Boston and was able to keep up with all her classes at Sweet Valley. In fact, able to do honors work in most of her subjects. Before long, many of her classmates had almost forgotten that she was deaf. But no one had forgotten that Regina was beautiful. <laughs> and it's just like, to me, that kind of sums up. That's the book's presentation of Regina. It's like, yeah, 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 she's deaf. Love that. Love it. Like, she's deaf, so what? Love that. But then it's, like, taken to this place where it's, like, why even bother giving her a handicap if it does not matter to any piece of the story? Because it's, like, occasionally they'll allude to the fact that someone has to stand in a position where Regina can see her face. uh, So that, can see their face so that she can read their lips. Occasionally. Yes. And that, the fact that that, there's not really anything that's very clearly choreographed when the scenes are happening in the book. It's not really clear where people are standing or what, but I would imagine it would be very hard to lip read someone behind a giant camera when they're yelling directions at you, which brings us to later in the plot arc. Regina is very upset by the fact that she knows that these rumors are swirling around. I, I guess it's not fair to say that she's upset by it. Elizabeth and Todd think that she's upset by it. Yeah. Um, 
And Regina wants to tell Elizabeth the truth. She's like, meet me later. Like, I'll tell you the whole truth. And Elizabeth assumes that, you know, she needs to be a shoulder to cry on so that Regina can say how terrible she's feeling about all these rumors swirling around. Turns out Regina doesn't give a shit about rumors. Let people think whatever they want. Which, again, how cool is this girl? She's so cool. But she tells Elizabeth the truth, which is that the man that she's been seeing so much is a man named Lane Townsend. Townsend. Yes. And he is, Elizabeth's like, oh, that sounds familiar. Why does it sound familiar? Well, he runs this Townsend modeling agency, and she's going to be on the cover of Ingenue magazine. (laughs) And they're not having an affair at all. He is happily married. We find out later that his wife is the one who pointed out Regina to him. Regina, at one point, was with them because uh, she was going to babysit their daughter, Simone. So, like, very, very chaste. But before uh, we find that out, we get to hear Lila Fowler, who is especially jealous of Regina, like another beautiful rich girl in town, talking about her bad reputation, Regina's potential bad reputation. And she says things like, Regina is, you know, with this older man, like, we can, you can imagine what they're doing, you know? Yeah. And and basically all but says, like, they're off, like, they must be off having sex. Because, like, characters, both Jessica and Lila, keep on using the phrase, like, you know what older men are like. Which, I mean, she, they're not wrong. Like They're not wrong, but the implication is that everyone at the school has slept with an older man. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, then at one point, she's Lila saying, like, you know, to Caroline Pierce, who is the biggest gossip in school, so no wonder this rumor is spreading. That's part of her terrible personality. Okay. Oh, you know what they must be doing. Like, they're going to go off some someplace secluded and, you yeah. know, is an older man. And Caroline's like, you, but you don't think Regina would. <gasps> And Lila's like, well, what do you think, you know? <laughs> it's very, that's kind of oh, how, that's man. like, that's the level. So clearly they're talking about having sex, but they're not saying the word sex because everybody say it with us. There's no sex in Sweet Valley. Never. At least not, not the yet. word sex. Not the word sex. So. And not, not boning. They never talk about boning. So no, no boning. So Regina tells Elizabeth that she is uh, going to be on the cover of the magazine and swears Elizabeth to secrecy, which is kind of a like bummer for Todd because uh, he's been really yeah. all keen to solve the mystery. I know Inspector Todd ended up being the odd man out. Yeah, he's like, "What? You can't tell me." But then, of course, eventually the magazine comes out and. When, like, so Todd sees the cover, and he was like, I was a little bit sad that I wasn't in on your secret, but I guess that's what makes you such a good friend. Which is Lesson true. learned. Com- compare that to Jessica with Olivia. Yeah. Right? But before the magazine comes out, there's another detective on the scene, and it's Detective Lila. Lila P.I. Sounds yeah. a little better. <laughs> Inspector yeah. Fowler. Yeah, that's... Pr- I love it. Okay. I love Inspector Fowler. And so she... Everybody's, like, ditching class to follow... To follow Regina's car or bus or whatever in, in their car. Yeah. And so she finds her way to this, like, Townsend modeling agency place. Regina gets on the elevator. Yes. And Lila stays on the ground floor and watches, like, watches how the, the lights go up. So and she's like, six it is. They describe it in the book. She describes it in the book, Lila does. She describes that particular decision as master sleuthing. <laughs> yes. 
And I'm like, no, I've done that. You know what I mean? Maybe you're a master sleuth, Mike. I guess I am. Maybe you're I'm just, just not, not giving, giving yourself enough credit. I'm, I'm giving master sleuths a bad name, if that's the case. <laughs> well, I don't know what happens to Regina, yeah. but she, she like just kind of shows up, and the woman's like, oh, did you want to make an appointment to find out about the Ingenue contest, modeling contest? And Lila just says yes, so that she can like figure out more of the clues. Yeah. So she's being a little Nancy Drew here. And eventually she gets this meeting with Lane Townsend. Here she is in the same room with this man that Regina seems to be having an affair with, according to Lila, who has been saying all around town that, like, they were all over each other when that is not, not true even, at all. Yeah. So she talks to Lane, and Lane is like, you're very pretty, but it's a no. It's and a the no. contest's over anyway. We <clears throat> yeah. found this great girl named Regina. My wife found her. Uh, there's she's deaf. Isn't that cool? Like, there's going to be a whole story about her. Lila's like fuming with jealousy. And then to add insult to injury, may, may I do the honors? Please. Okay, I love this so much. Well, first, Lane Towson says about Regina. She's a pretty unusual girl. Not only is she beautiful and absolutely unspoiled as far as appearance goes, but it turns out that she's managed to overcome a real handicap and live a normal life. More than normal, in fact. And I will come back to that passage later. When Lane breaks the news to Lila, he says, It's my business to meet pretty girls. Lila, try not to be too disappointed about the modeling job. You're a pretty girl, but you don't really have the right facial structure, I'm afraid. You wouldn't like how flat your face would look in photographs. Anyway, he told her, (laughs) seeing her to the door, modeling is hard work. You'll probably thank me a few years from now. (laughs) (laughs) I saved you from embarrassment, you ugly uh, little girl. Yeah. You flat-faced little Right, and as (laughs) you were saying before, like, she, like, it would not be abnormal for, like, a teenage girl to hear something like that from a modeling agent and think that her face was flat and weird in pictures for the rest of her life. What about the other passage? This other passage thing, so, like, as far as... Overcoming a real handicapping, overcoming a real handicap and living a normal life. Um, I, I hesitate to give too much credit to the book for having a deaf character, at least prescriptively. Like prescriptively, yes, there's a deaf character. Okay, so we have some representation, mm-hmm. but I remember reading a couple of things. One is I I had been trying to do like a little bit about my mom's story. She was not vaccinated when she was younger for polio and she got polio and now has post-polio syndrome because her mother was an anti-vaxxer before that was a thing, basically. Oh my goodness. And so how she describes being handy, she's old school. She still says crippled, like she's still mm-hmm. way in the back. She says it's kind of self-deprecatingly for laughs, but um, she's she's not necessarily one to complain about the physical component of living with a disability, but the social component of it really is painful for her. That that she feels that she's so used to the routine. Of tending to having one leg that's slightly shorter than the other, right? Uh-huh. That the things that really hurt her, because she doesn't really complain about the pain. What she complains about is how she's treated when she goes out. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
And so I think it also put her in a position of not wanting to lead a normal life because she doesn't want to be considered or compared to these people who would be that, um, who would make her invisible. And then I was reading this poetry anthology I got at the LA Book Fest like years and years later. It was called um, Beauty is a Verb. And on the cover, there's a woman in a, who's wheelchair bound and like uh, submerged in a swimming pool with like swimmer goggles on. It's really cute. Okay. It's a really pretty picture. <clears throat> and they have people in it who are either have uh, um, some severe mental health conflicts and um, there, there's, there are deaf people that write in it. There are blind people who write in it, but also people with like MS or Parkinson's. Like sure. it, it runs this whole gamut and all of them have this thing about wanting to be accepted for the abnormal life that they lead by normal people. And like, it's not that they need so desperately to overcome the physical handicap. They just want to be recognized in this world and that that pain of it is much larger. Something that I would never like say on behalf of someone else. Cause I'm not here to sure. decide, Oh, this pain is much worse for you than this other pain that you have. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's great to be compassionate and, and try to be empathetic to other people's situations. But the, then there's the line of like, you don't want to cross into suggesting that you actually know that experience. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm worried about, there are a lot of questions there and everybody's process is different, but coming off of my mom's experience and also this book of, there's another book by the same people or edited by the same people called the right to be crippled and naked, which is a short story collection. I gifted that to my mom. Uh-huh. I just used the, I just kept the poetry one for me because she doesn't like poetry as much. <laughs> She's like, well, why don't you just write song lyrics? And I was like, nah, mom, I'm going to be a poet. And then I ended up being a lyricist and songwriter anyway. Mother always knows best, but, um, <laughs> I just feel like when I read that passage, like, I don't think that's how this works. The, I don't. Pa- the idea that, like, oh, look how great it is that she was able to live a normal life. And I, I, right. I think I want to say just for listeners to understand, you, Mike, when you were talking before and talking about normal life, like, you were using air quotes. And I think that's actually important to point out. Because yes, the, world, yeah. the word normal is so problematic. I think that... I remember growing up having a lot of language around, like, well, who wants to be normal? Like, why would that be what you wanted? Exactly. But it's still, like, sort of this default word to describe something that probably doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, like, the closest thing that it, the closest thing to it is a world that exists in fiction, you know, where yeah. you have the Patmans trying to be this, like, perfect way, this is, this is normal. Or, like, in Harry Potter, you know, you have the Dursleys, like, they're so obsessed oh, yeah. with being normal. Yeah, that's a great example, actually, that's it, true. Yeah, it's, like, where it becomes an obsession, and if you, if you do anything that makes you stand out at all, that somehow you are embarrassing because you're drawing attention and that's just like so converse to the way that like I feel like most of yeah I don't I want to say most of us think but like the people in my world don't think like that you know and, and not in mine either I mean but especially because I have an oddball family it's you know like my my mom is wheelchair bound and both the kids are gay and so like when we think about normal we think of something that's not desirable you know what I mean yeah because we just like our very simple dynamic. I wonder if normal, what's being meant by normal here is, I think, that the amount that that person looks as if they are suffering 
for what they're living in well, is yeah. very small or very like minimal. And that's the whole weird thing about Regina, where it's like I don't know where to land on this. Like, is it great that she's this character that nobody can see her disability, or would it be great if she could kind of like be like own the disability? And, I mean, she personally doesn't feel bad about it, really. Right. But I wish the book would kind of let her. Let it be seen. Like, let her disability be seen yes. and have her still be popular and cool because she's great and right. people like her and she's beautiful, or so that helps. As as someone who feels solidarity with the deaf movement, as someone who feels deaf pride, as someone who, you know, maybe comes into, comes into counter with someone who has a very ignorant question about people who are hard of hearing or have – or um, anything like that, I feel like that would make it – a little bit more plausible for me. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to not go out on any kind of limb here and say that it seems as if the publishers of the series don't want to let Regina be deaf. Right. And listeners, as the podcast continues, you will see that my prediction pans out. (laughs) And with that tease, I think that we should probably wrap things up. Uh what do you think? Do you that have any more good. you want to say? I feel like we could talk forever about no, it. You know what, though? I mean, I just wanted to make sure that I was... <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm talking about a community of people that I'm not personally a part of. But with a little bit of taking what others who have that struggle have said in books about it and, like, applying it to this. Yeah. So I feel like I'm okay. I just don't want to... I'm just, like, walking on eggshells you, No, I think it's yeah. great. And you know what? This is the power of reading. Too. Yes. And that's part of why I wish that there were more diversity in these books, because there were a lot of lessons that I'm sure were taken away from these books by, you know, young girls throughout the 80s and 90s, and I'm not sure that very many of them were very life-affirming. Yeah, or, or, or giving it a close read, even. It's just sort of, you know... Yeah, yeah. it's just a, just a minefield. Yeah, it, right? And it feels like you read it and then go, what would someone in that situation take as the takeaway from this. I have no idea. I do think it's nice that <laughs> Lila doesn't try to perpetuate the rumor once it's, you know, once the rumor is uh, proven to be false. Lila doesn't actively try and, like, say, oh, no, but I think there was something going on. And, and that's how low the bar is. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Very true. <laughs> Thanks so much for being back again today, Mike. Yes. And uh, listeners, uh, tune in next week to find out whether Caroline's boyfriend, Adam, is a real person. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Are you trying to impress somebody's rich aunt? Is your megalomaniacal boyfriend trying to dress you up like his mother? Well, you're in luck when you stop by the Boston shop. We've got tennis whites. We've got polo shirts. We've got sweater sets, cardigans, and crested blazers. And the brands, Lacoste, sure. Brooks Brothers, you better believe it, Mac. Jordash? What are you, fucking stupid? This is a fancy store for fancy people. You come through these doors, you better have a thick wallet. The Boston shop is located in downtown Sweet Valley, California. No, I don't know why either.